Welcome to the Clean Comedy Time Podcast. I'm Aaron Sorrells. And I'm Brian Atkinson. Today, our guest is Alan True. Alan is a comedian and a sports writer who grew up just a bit outside Holland in Zeeland, Michigan, and makes his home in Walker, which is just a bit outside Grand Rapids. And today, we're going to talk to him about the good, the bad, and the funny. Had our first date in town here at a local eatery called Meyer. Before you judge me, this is what happened. We went to Meyer, picked out some groceries, went back to her place. She cooked me dinner, and that's how pimping's done. Uh, Alan, thank you so much for being on the show. Alan, we are excited to chat with you today. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I think that is the first time we've said the word or had anyone say the word pimping on the Clean Town <laughs> Time podcast. But I love that that bit, so I just had to uh, do that. Yeah, I was surprised you chose that clip, but <laughs> I'll, I'll be cleaner than that. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I for people who don't know what Meyer is, if they're outside of West Michigan or I guess it's it's in a lot of places in the Midwest, it's a big old grocery store plus. So. For those of you who live in other places, you know, kind of like the super Walmart. This episode sponsored by Meyer Thrifty Acres. <laughs> they don't need our money. No. <laughs> do they still do Thrifty Acres? I think that's a thing of the past there, uh, Aaron. I just dated myself. If you go into Meyer, you'll see the, like the, the wall of history there, right, right by the uh, Sandy, the uh, Penny uh, horse. And uh, and they might uh, have a little like Thrifty Acres uh, tableau there or something. But Alan, I don't know if we explain this, but this show is primarily about grocery stores. It really is. This is what we oh, talked about. Right up my alley. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because that's not the only time you've been to the grocery store. But while we were there, she tried to impress me. She said, "Alan, I'm going to save us so much time when we get up to the self check because I've already memorized all the lookup codes for the fruits and vegetables." So you don't have to scroll through that computer a bunch. Go ahead, test me. Banana 4011. I said, you're correct. But I'm going to save us even more time and money because I only know one PLU code. That's the one for russet potato. Because those only cost 39 cents. Then I'm going to ring up everything in our cart as a russet potato. It's a great trick. You guys need cheap uh, new refill ink cartridges for your printers? Boop, boop, boop. Rusted potato, 39 cents. Sometimes I feel bad that I'm shoplifting. I switch to organic, 55 cents. I'm so glad you have a conscience about it anyway. <laughs> I was raised right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let, let's get into the into the funny part here of the good, the bad, and the funny. Um, Alan, you uh, you grew up in uh, just outside Holland in Zealand, correct? That is correct. Yes, yeah, I know that yeah. place. Yeah, you're not <laughs> far. Yeah, he's he's moved there now, over to Drenthe. Um, and I, you know, I did a, a little bit of research to make sure I I knew who I was talking to today, and um, so I'm. Before we get deep into the comedy, I think we just got to give a little context here for your career as a sports writer and recruiting expert. Is that the best way to express that? Uh, yeah, um, I guess they they do consider me an expert. Um, right? So I started really as a child being <laughs> really into the like game behind the game of football was always watching 
the breakdowns. This is like, I'm talking grade school. I'm recording those shows to VHS and watching them back and scribbling mm. things out. And so I started my own website as an eighth grade project. And that eventually led to the job that I'm doing now. I had a chance to go to the NFL Combine as a teenager and uh, then eventually switched over into college football recruiting. So basically, in a nutshell, I, I travel around, find the best high school players in the Midwest, but also in the country, and write about where they might be going to school and evaluate them as what do we think this guy could be in college and beyond. And while you do that, then you also slip in some stand-up comedy from time to time. Yeah, it works out really well, actually, the two things. So <laughs> I can... Uh, I've gone up to Wisconsin, done some, done a football camp up there, watched some high school players, hopped over and, and done uh, the Comedy Cafe in Milwaukee or Skyline or one of those places and then head on back home. So um, it's, it's gotten a little bit harder with kids, but the two things do kind of overlap sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So you're able to combine those trips. I can imagine that with the kids and your, your lovely, and her name's Kristen. Is that right? I get that. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Whew. Um, that, uh, you know, it, you're going to be gone. You're on a work trip. You're going to be, you know, there for the day. You're going to stay overnight anyway, do a comedy show, then come home. Uh, I, I think about that of when I try to do my own shows, what can I combine that with? And, uh, and, uh, that seems to work out pretty well. Um, it, as I, I think about, um, what you've done and and how that's worked out for you uh, do you feel like you just you know lucked out do you did you stumble into this or or did you really find yourself uh getting more and more strategic over time with this stuff you're talking about the the two career paths or comedy yes. or or sports or yeah. both oh both yeah yeah i'd love to the overlap of the two of them is what's fascinating to me right now oh no so was not strategic at all. Uh, I feel like I lucked out. I double lucked out basically because this is what I've, like I said, this sports is what I wanted to do and football analysis is what I wanted to do for as long as I can remember. So not everybody gets to live out their dream job. I'm lucky enough to have gotten that. And then I really just did stand up as a, let's just try it out, which yeah. I think a lot, that's how it, it finds a lot of us and uh, just happened to, be able to turn it into something where I could travel around and do that. But it was never like, what can I pair football scouting with that, that makes sense as a second uh, side hustle. It was, it just <laughs> happened that way. Oh man. Um, we were just lucky enough to have you on a, a show, a clean comedy time show uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, again, thank you for that as well. Cause uh, you were terrific. Uh, and the audience just ate you up. Um, so yeah, I, I gotta I gotta chime in, Alan. Um, I've talked with several people from the from the church there, and he, your name has come up with all of them. Like they are, they were just so impressed with you closing the show, and and they just they just loved what you did there. So thanks for being a part of that. Uh, no problem, and that's that it, that is great because honestly, I have never I don't think I've ever done a church before, not with a church audience. I'd done the um, no, I can't think of the name of the church downtown that they do Laugh Fest shows at Fountain Street. Fountain Street. Fountain Street. Yeah, yeah. Fountain Street. <laughs> I've Which done is... that, but not for it was yeah. for a general audience, not for the actual yeah. congregation of the church. So that was actually a brand new experience for me, guys. Which you don't get much 
uh, you know, <laughs> 10 or so years into comedy. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you've got a connection with some of the folks uh, from that church, correct? Well, they I, I, know me through the sports side, which is funny. A lot of them are big uh, recruiting fans or big I think sports more, betters. <laughs> big, yeah, yeah, that's right. I help them. They're bookie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, let, let me bring this back around to comedy and then sports. Uh, again, I have this dual track in my mind that I can't seem to get out of. Um, so as an expert in recruiting, you talked about um, finding the best high school players and then finding the best college players and trying to anticipate. If I got this right, you, you try to anticipate who's going to do well in their next step. Yes. So we're trying to we rate them. We rank them. It's a big to do. Every year during the Super Bowl, they talk about how wrong all of the high school predictions are because of how many lower ranked guys made it to the NFL. So we're trying to get a little more accurate at that every single year. But we're we're trying to give college football fans, if you're a Michigan fan or a Michigan State fan or a Colorado fan or whoever you are, you should be able to log onto our website, look at the recruits that are coming in and have an idea of who are going to be the best guys in that group. Cool. Now, the question I have to follow that is, do you ever find yourself in the same place when it comes to comedy <laughs> that you're looking around at, you know, who's on the show with you or just people, you know, and going, they're going someplace they're not. And why is either of those me? Boy, there's um, a loaded, loaded question for you. <laughs> no, I am glad you asked because it's absolutely. I mean, I have to, you have to have an analytic mind to do what I do. So I feel like too often I'm always analyzing the strengths and weaknesses of people in my life, from comedians to my own family members. I'm like, I could write a scouting. <laughs> yeah, I could write a scouting report about every comedian in Grand Rapids. <laughs> uh, you mentioned your family, and uh, I know your your son just. Uh, just aced his uh, map test. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, not to be too braggadocious here, but he's in first grade and he basically scored oh. as a sixth grader in reading and as a fourth Sweet. grader in math. So maybe he won't be um, maybe he won't be telling jokes in bars someday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he might be, uh, you know, following in uh, in your analytics when it comes into sports and things like that. Well, and, and you've got him on stage telling some jokes already, haven't you? Oh, he loves it. He's actually kind of a he's he's kind of an art brain. So he's he likes being on stage. He likes music. He likes coming up with his own jokes. So as much as uh, I maybe would not and I would never steer him away from it. I'm kind of joking. It's kind of dad speak <laughs> there. Uh, sure. He seems to be following right along. Now, going back, though, the other part of this that's funny is that I am flipped around as far yeah. as football and comedy because in football all of these kids are sending me their tapes sure. and their numbers and their bios saying hey can you put me on the site can you rank me higher can you tell me where i stand and then often turning around going i can't believe you picked that other guy instead of me that's <laughs> I'm them in comedy i'm sending my tape around hey please watch me just give me 30 seconds i promise if yeah. you watch 30 seconds of me i'm good at this and then i turn around i go to these auditions which we have basically do camps as auditions i've gone to auditions and then seen who they pick and i'm like i cannot believe they picked those people not me. Right. so Why? i have Why? told these kids that i kind of understand their perspective on this because in comedy and entertainment i'm the other side oh that's a terrific perspective thank you uh I, as I was imagining, I, I was trying to put myself in the, in the 
mind of the person I'm going to talk to. And that's all I could think of is like, well, how do you turn off the analytic recruiting mind wherever you go? And you've just verified it for me. It's, it's everywhere you go. It's the people you meet your family members and, and those of us in the, in the local comedy scene, of course. The next thing I'd like to talk about is, um, you, uh, put out an album. Uh, it, seems like it kind of came out uh, pretty recently is that right it now that uh, the last year has been so crazy everywhere right. that uh it either came out right after the pandemic started or just before so yeah it's been just <laughs> over a year yeah i was looking at uh, apple music just to say i want to make sure i get the title right and the and the album's called a cry for help which is perfect for both pre and post pandemic <laughs> uh but it's also it's like Okay, I want to make sure I get that right and everything. So let me look on Apple Music, a couple other places, and it's like, oh yeah, it's 2020. This is when this started. Like, okay, so it was either was it in January or was it March or wh where was it? And I think you uh, have verified that a little bit, right? Right in the middle of all that nonsense. Yeah, I recorded it in November, but then it actually football gets really busy at that time, oh, and I yeah, wanted really? to do the editing myself. So it took me a while to edit it and then figure out how I was gonna you know, distribute it and what I was going to do with it. And I was actually going to press, you know, and I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't say press an album because it wasn't going to go on vinyl, but I was going to get a bunch of CDs made and travel around with it. And then luckily before I bought a bunch of physical copies and tried to sell them at shows, the pandemic happened. And uh, I was like, well, I guess I'm not doing any shows. I don't need physical copies. Yeah. Right. When you recorded it, uh, did you record that in a club event or multiple ones? How did you go about recording it? Yeah, I just did a one-night deal at Dr. Grin's. They were gracious enough to let me have a Wednesday night. I tried to fill it with as many people as I could and 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 did just recorded it all in one go. Um, what you hear on the album, there's very little editing there. That is pretty much the show start to finish. I may have cut one or two bits that just didn't flow right. But for the most part, that's the that's just one gig straight through. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, that's pretty courageous, too. Make sure you all pick that up. Uh, Alan True, a cry for help. Oh, and fair warning to anybody who enjoyed me at the church show and says, I'm going to go buy this guy's album. I really liked what I heard on that Friday <laughs> night. It is not that church set. So <laughs> right, right. Well, well yeah, car on the way to church. You know, Alan, you're, you're a good example of, uh, of somebody that we really like to work with on the clean comedy time shows. Cause um, you can do clean comedy, but you're funny first and foremost, you know, you, 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 and, and that can be clean comedy. That can be blue comedy and that can be a roast battle. I've seen you tear it up in some roasts. <laughs> I'd like to think that I'm pretty versatile. Um, and so, and I guess this, I mean, during laugh fest itself, yeah, I did a, I did a clean show right before that roast battle. Uh, did, did a totally clean set, went and said awful things about people at the roast battle, turned around the next morning, hosted a kid's joke time that my son was on and then, uh, you know, went back to a normal set. So yeah, bounce around a little bit, but it, I guess maybe it makes that difficult on, uh, people who want to follow me and aren't really sure what's going to come out of my mouth. Yeah. Well, we always try to say with clean comedy time that it's, uh, we have comedians performing clean material that it's. You know, to say that somebody's a clean comedian, I'm a clean comedian, but, you know, people who know me in real life, if I don't have a live microphone in front of me, you know, every other word, I'm kidding. I don't talk like that. See, since uh, you guys were able to pull me 
a little bit out of my box and have me do a really clean show. I want I'm going to organize a show and have you two come and just do completely <laughs> blue. That's what I want. I want I want an X-rated Brian Atkinson set and an X-rated Aaron. Sorkin. I'm going to make yeah. you guys do what you did to me. You yeah. know, I, I did, uh, uh, I think it's the comedy bar in downtown Chicago and they, and when you get, uh, when you get on there, it's, it's, it's an open mic night, but they've got a wheel that you spin and you can land on a dirty set or you can land on a clean set. You, you know, you can land on a 10 minute set, a seven minute set, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's all up to chance. And, uh, I did not land on the dirty set, which uh, which helped out, or, or maybe not. Maybe that maybe that yeah. would have been a lot of fun. I, what I, would you have I, done? I, I think I would have just said the uh, f word over and over and over again, like uh, most uh, open mic comedians <laughs> that oh, I've right. seen when they try to do yeah. a real blue set. <laughs> and by the f word, I mean I mean friends and frankly. Fun. And, you meant fun, funny, yeah, you meant, yeah, all that's, that's, what your, that's, that's what I did for your guys's church show. I just replaced all my f words with father, and yeah, right. <laughs> it worked out perfectly. I, I don't think anybody noticed it. Uh, so that was one. Uh, so I, I want to shift gears now more into uh, the your comedy journey, and we often talk about the comedic voice. Uh, and that's, of course, another two-track thing. Um, and just because of the voice work I do, I'm always aware of people's voices. And so this is where I'm going to be really nice to you and just say, I love your voice. And I don't know if you hear that enough with uh, the sports writing, and I know you do some broadcast stuff too. Um, but when you're doing stand-up and in just talking with you and on your album and the shows that I've seen, your voice just sounds like you're being funny. Nobody listens to you and thinks, is he serious? They're like, you've got this wry, snarky quality to it that to, for me just works. Uh, and so I think, again, you just got really lucky there or, or is that something you've honed? I think it's, I, I do think it's luck. I've, and like you said, I've, I went to school for broadcasting. I was always planning on being a sportscaster and I did news for a little bit and have been lucky in that public speaking has always come pretty naturally to me. So this is just kind of how I've always spoken. Now I am a little bit, like you said, it's rye. It's a little dry. I can be mm -hmm. a little bit, I'm, it's pretty, I don't want to say flatline, but I'm not Dane Cook. You know, I'm not yelling. I'm not jumping around up there. And for a while, a lot of people told me you're going to have to try to do that. You got to be a little more energetic. I think because at that time, my material wasn't crafted well enough yet for me to just be standing there. It was boring. You know, the material wasn't if you're if you're mm. not a exciting performer, which I'm not really. And you're also your writing isn't there yet. Well, then you don't really have the pieces. Yeah. So people were telling me when I started, like, hey, you're going to have to kind of find a voice. And, and they weren't talking about the actual voice quality. They were talking about a persona on stage. And I just couldn't do it. I don't have it in me to, like, I can't Larry the Cable guy this and create a character. I tried. <laughs> yeah. And so I did experiment for a long time with my cadence and even the tone of my voice. And eventually, luckily for me, I think my writing got to the point where I didn't need to try to cover up my writing with performance anymore. And it's just settled back into my, my normal speech, but it did take me. I kind of went around the block to get next door with the way that I talk on stage, I think. 
Mm -hmm. I, I observe uh, pitch. I observe speed. And as you said, cadence, the, the way that you come into a joke and ramp up to it and, they, and you deliver it. And all of those things, uh, I, I just get excited listening to how you are uh, naturally gifted that way. But then how I just think you, you've worked that to make sure that you're delivering these things in ways that are cluing the audience into knowing that here comes the part you got to listen to. And now's the part where you're going to sit back a little bit and then you're going to listen to this. And um, th that's all been terrific to to observe and and uh, follow for you. Well, you guys remember rest in peace Floyd J. Phillips, right? He, he was actually just on the scene uh, just shortly before uh, both uh, Brian and I came onto the comedy scene. So yeah, I never that, had the opportunity to meet uh, him. I was just, you know, from Laugh Fest and, and seeing comedy, but I, I never got to meet him or anything. Okay. I traveled with him. Oh. Um, and I think he is real. If you listen back to his stuff, he is really good at that. The timing, the kind of setup and setting the ball on the tee, he knew exactly when to pause. Because Floyd kind of was struggling with the same thing that I was just talking about, which is like he was. He wrote really well, but it wasn't he he was always trying to find ways to punch up his performance. But I think that he didn't end up needing it. And and so watching him, I think I learned and traveling with him, I think I learned a lot about the pacing and when to pause, especially and when to kind of put some extra emphasis into a punchline that kind of I used to kind of just talk. It was it was a little bit monotone at the start. You, you know, he, he must have been a really special guy because I know uh, a couple of the people that we've talked with that are have been around the Grand Rapids scene for a while really talk about him in and hold him in very high regards. One of a kind in every way possible as a human being and as a comedian and just as a, like the type of person that would drive you nuts sometimes, especially when you take them on the road. And I, I could tell stories for days, but at the end of the day, the person who has probably helped me the most throughout my comedy career. Getting a little older, becoming kind of a curmudgeon. I get annoyed at a lot of things. Like I get annoyed at the way young kids talk. You notice like a lot of people in their teens and their 20s think everything's random. <laughs> My God, that's so random. <laughs> I was at a friend's house and uh, there was a knock on the door. His girlfriend went to get the door. She came back and he was like, who was at the door? And she was like, some random guy with a package. It's <laughs> like, that guy wasn't random. That was the UPS man. <laughs> and he was scheduled to work today. You've tracked the package all morning. You knew when it was getting here. Not what random means. If you had put a bunch of service people in a bag and then pulled out a guy and it was the UPS guy, that would be random. And we see your analytical mind at work in the construction of that joke. No, that's what random is. I've, I used to try to, I think I used to try to overdo it. I tried to make every joke like the smartest thing possible. And that's where <laughs> that, that one came out of. And then as it's gone along, it's like, you know what? Here's some more sexual jokes and jokes about my making fun of my wife and my kids. That's that's and race. I've got it's gotten easier. I used every joke. I used to try to like how how can I make this the most obscure reference possible? And it just uh, some of them that one made it through. 
uh, a lot of mm. them didn't. A lot of them crashed and burned. So uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you have that analytically try to make the smart jokes. Uh, but you also said you, you go to your family for material. Uh, wife, kids, uh, where does that material then come from? The... It, I mean, I, I say it in the act, but a lot of it is stuff that's happened that I've then polished up into joke form. But as things occur throughout our day, or my wife is actually a pretty funny person, so we have pretty intense battles of sarcasm back and forth. And every now and then, there's one that's good enough where I'll I'll I'll, I'll polish it into a joke. And she's a really good sport about this. I don't. I think people sometimes that's the thing. If you ask her, what do you hate the most about going to Alan's comedy shows? She'll tell you, I hate sitting there and he tells jokes about me, and the whole audience turns and looks at me to see if I'm laughing. And I've heard these jokes a thousand times, so I'm not laughing. And then everybody thinks I'm mad, and the whole audience leaves thinking, oh boy, their marriage is in trouble. <laughs> so, oh boy. But she's actually a really good sport about it. So I don't really hold back in talking about her i don't really hold back in talking about my parents i don't really know how they feel about being in the act they've never said anything i assume that they're okay with it <laughs> and, uh, my kids are too young to know and i'm oh, sure man. knowing them and knowing how much they love attention i'm sure they will be fine with it <laughs> uh i have to make sure that any material I do that involves my wife is a true story. And I've tried to explain, it's like, well, I'm going to embellish. I'm going to exaggerate. I'm going to, you know, like that. And I was trying something out, uh, over this weekend, uh, said, so here, here's the thing I want to do about you. And she, she's like, yeah, but that's not how it happened. I'm like, all right, um, we're not doing that then. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, so, and me, I'm, I'm not even married. I made my wife up. She's fictitious. See, you, you just so you don't feel alone. I do a joke about my wife reading something out of Cosmo. And she's yeah. that's the part. Of, I mean, the rest of the joke is like the sexual joke where I'm telling everybody our intimate details. But the part that she hangs on is you, it's making me sound like a simpleton. I don't read Cosmo. I was, <laughs> I read it out of, I was like, nobody knows whatever holistic medicine journal you read that out of. OK, I had to pick something mainstream so the audience gets it yeah yeah so my wife's reading popular science and yeah it <laughs> yeah. doesn't really work that way yeah that's uh, that's an important uh uh difference there you know it, something can be true in like the feel of it and how it happened but it doesn't have to be a documentary that all of the details are exact no i and that's what i was saying before about all the math jokes and all this whatever it's like you have to be able the audience has to be able to relate and you can't have things go over their heads so even like little things like recognizing the name Meyer or recognizing the name Cosmo or whatever that's that makes and I used to have to when I traveled around more I had to figure out not every state has Meyer I had to figure out what what is if I'm using Kroger tonight well the time has come on our little podcast to take a break but we'll be right back be sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts so it's easier for people to find us and like us on all your podcast favorites. We'll be right back. This pandemic has been tough for everybody, including those of us who love live comedy. 
And while COVID-19 is still an unpleasant reality, vaccinations and your efforts have once again made it possible for us to gather together and laugh together. We had a blast at our first show back, and we are eager to continue laughing with you. Check out cleancomedytime.com to find upcoming shows or contact us to bring a Clean Comedy Time show to your local comedy club, church, corporate event, or fundraiser. We'll see you soon, and please get vaccinated. Welcome back, Alan. Thank you so much for sharing uh, some of your comedic process and also some of that overlap between uh, your various professions and, and family and, and even some hobbies and stuff in there. Uh, what's, uh, what would you say is something that's going well for you right now? Going well. I think the balance of everything of the comedy life, the sports writing life, my kids are in sports. My wife and I still play competitive sports ourselves, and juggling all of that was difficult. But I think coming out of the pandemic now, we're getting back to being able to do what we've been back to doing a lot of those things. But it is nice to, it was really difficult for a while of not having some of those outlets and also homeschooling our kids. It was just like a tough year. And I think we're back to the point now where I feel like I can do all of those things again. And my kids are old enough to where they can go to a grandparent's house and be fine. They can have a sitter and be fine. They can go to their friend's house and be fine. And it's allowed me to, I juggle a lot of balls here, if you can't tell. So I, I mm. think that we're at a good point of being able to, to do all of those. Explain to me a little bit more about that balance. Is how, What do you attribute being able to balance all those things? I mean, flexibility in my job, for one, in my sports writing. I don't punch a clock. I can do the job from anywhere. So... My kids want to go to a playground tomorrow. I can bring them to a playground and sit on a park bench and hotspot my phone and get some work done. Not everybody has that flexibility, so I'm I'm grateful for that. Um, my wife's job, she's a paralegal, but she has flexibility as far as when she goes in. And I think we've just finally figured out the right level of when she works, when I work, what, what we do with our kids and trading off. When, who gets their leisure time, who gets to go for a run, who gets to go, you know, we're, we both play pickleball, we both disc golf, we both do a lot of active things. So we've been able to, to trade off a lot. And when the kids were younger and harder to deal with, that was just, uh, it could, you know, two hours with them was hellacious. And <laughs> now we can put on a movie, we can hang out. It's great. So I think, I think all of those things put together, have made the uh, balance happen. So it sounds kind of like the opposite of like silos or compartmentalization, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of, and, and I there's this thing also having, I've done this, my sports writing job since I was 18. I've only had a comedy. I worked at a restaurant in high school and this actual company that I work for those are the those are the only jobs I've ever had in my life. So I've always been I've always kind of worked in chaos. And so I don't know that I could sit in a cubicle and concentrate on anything. I actually think this is my preferred state of being, which is all kinds of stuff happening all around me all the time. It sounds like that that stimulation or that stimulus is real important. I think I just yeah, I have an overactive brain that doesn't like lulls or doesn't just doesn't and I have I have pretty bad focus ability to focus on one task 
at a time, which I've unfortunately, I think, passed down to my son. So uh, we're both kind of head in the cloud. Going a lot of different directions at once, huh? Yeah, it's actually written into, I'm into, I'm into astrology a little bit. And it's actually written into my Libra horoscope that I get pulled in a lot of different directions and I can't help it. <laughs> well, you know, um, I know we all have various strengths and, and weaknesses and, and sometimes they are kind of the same thing. You know, the, your ability to be able to look in multiple different directions and and uh, uh, accomplish things, you know, that's that's probably contributed a great deal to your success. Uh, but it, it probably creates some challenges and things, too. huh? Yeah, I like to think I'm pretty well rounded. But then on the other hand of that, I don't focus on one task very well. I mean, jack of all trades, master of none. That that term was almost created for me in some ways i think yeah so i leave a lot of things unfinished i leave some things unfinished i i don't i'm not very good at saying no just say yes to everything hey you want to go to this football camp yeah hey you want to do these shows yeah they're on the same day i'll figure it out uh you want to bring the kids over to this yeah sure i actually have had to work on in the last couple of years saying no and sticking to no because it was starting to um you know it was piling up and i wasn't wasn't able to get to everything as much as I should, or I wasn't, um, I was doing a lot of different things to like 70% ability and it wasn't producing the results that I wanted. Man, I can, I can hear that analytical brain just churning on that, huh? <laughs> I, if you can't tell, I've thought about that a lot. And I may have had many conversations with my wife also, who is pretty <laughs> analytic herself instead of saying like, hey, you know, you've you got a lot of irons in the fire here, buddy. Yeah. Well, I, I know um, for me uh, at various times in my life, I've been going in a lot of different directions. And then, uh, you know, something that this pandemic did for all of us was forced us to kind of hit the brakes, uh, at least in some aspects. Um, and, and I know there's myself and a lot of other folks, uh, have actually kind of benefited from being able to just stop for a moment and kind of reassess and reprioritize. Yeah, I think that definitely happened for me. And I'm, I'm try travel a lot for comedy and sports. And the pandemic allowed me to not have to worry about any of those things. I got to spend a lot of time with my kids. I got to really stop and smell the roses to use a cliche. And I think that was good. I didn't, like I said, I had to learn how to say no. Well, during the pandemic, there was nothing to say no to. Uh, <laughs> there was nothing to say yes to. It was just, we were just here in our house. So that was a real blessing in disguise for me. Well, and it sounds like, again, that must have been a very difficult thing, uh, that, that change of pace, that change of momentum. Uh, but, uh, you know, to hear you use the term balance, uh, as you said earlier, coming out of the pandemic and getting back to things, for you to feel that you have a little bit more balance, I, I commend you for that. And I, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's so hard to sit here and really, I don't even really remember what the early part of the pandemic was like, like when we were all locked down. I kind of don't remember what we were doing at that point, how we passed the time. But I cl clearly everybody in this household at least learned something along the way, because I think we've come out the other side in good shape. And it, and it may just be as simple as our kids are one year older and more mature. But uh, I also think that... um 
my wife and I, I've been able to balance the work and the play and the parenting a lot better. And I think that not going to a lot of events and not doing a lot of comedy shows kind of made me see how to use time more effectively. But did you do any sourdough starter or anything along the way? That's the skill I think everybody was trying to develop. Like hobbies and things? <laughs> no, literally sourdough starter. Uh, that's <laughs> everybody seemed to just like. I'm. I got a sourdough going now. Yeah. You know what? Like I said, I don't even really remember. I don't know. What we, I don't like. I don't know what I was doing at this time last year. I have no idea. Like my daughter's birthday is coming up next week, and it happens to be the same as our anniversary. I do not remember what we did for our anniversary last year or what we did for my daughter's birthday. I know that we couldn't see a lot of people and know that we couldn't go out to dinner. I have no idea what we did instead. So it's just there's like this this black spot in my mind from last March through June of like I have no idea how we passed those three months. Yeah. Well, and I, I've heard a lot of people say it over this pandemic time just worked differently through the pandemic it 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 wasn't as linear as uh as it normally is you know it wasn't quite as chronological it was you know there was so much stress there was so much fear and and worry and and rethinking about you know who am i and what am i doing here and what's this world like you know there was so much of that going on that i think uh i i don't think that you're alone in the fact that looking back it's like just a, a whirlwind. Yeah, I know that when we found out about um, the pandemic and the fact that Laugh Fest was canceled, it was the morning that we were about to do our big homegrown show um, yeah. that Matt Loria puts together. Dave oh, Dyer yeah. and Deggy and I, and it was going to be we we had like we we're getting ready to do a show in front of like eight hundred people at the intersection, and it got canceled. And at the time, they said, "Can you guys send us some dates?" that you might be available for a reschedule in June. And I was like, June, you yeah. guys think the pandemic's going to last till June? Like three months? Yeah. You don't think we're going to kick this virus within three months? Uh, and, yeah. and it got to June and they're like, what do you guys think about October? And then it was like, yeah. ah, we're going to do a virtual festival. And now we're here like a over year a year later, later yeah. wondering if that show's ever going to happen ever again. Um, right. And what Laugh Fest, you know, 22 is going to look like. So when I think about that, that kind of gives me some perspective when I think about it that way of the time that passed. Boy, lots to think about uh, with the pandemic and how that's impacted us all. It's good to hear some of the positive things that have uh, come out of that. Uh, but uh, Alan, what's something that you would say that you're struggling with right now? You know, right now... Not to be all high and mighty. I don't have, there's not a ton that I'm struggling with. I think in general, a constant struggle for me in comedy is the fact that I don't do it full time. I don't put all of myself into it. I don't put myself out there. So that allows me to have the balance that we talked about. Allows me to not have to worry about putting food on the table for my kids and my family through you know, traveling. I don't have to accept a gig in South Dakota next week to make sure that they have clothes on their back. At the same time, I'm probably always going to wonder what would have happened if I had gone full go into comedy. And I don't get to, 
I don't get to experience the scene the same way. I don't get to hang out after shows as much. I don't get to go to a bunch of open mics. And, you know, I don't, I think sometimes that maybe creates the wrong impression. I think maybe younger comedians or comedians in the scene think I'm unapproachable or don't want to hang out or any of those things, which isn't true. I also think that me grilling them at the roast battles probably contributes. (laughs) So I think I, I'm like kind of like half in the scene, half not. And I always feel like a little bit on the outskirts of the comedy scene. Um, but I've chosen that path where I could have quit my job. I could have done that, but that's, that's always the ongoing struggle for me within the, uh, with respects to comedy. Sounds like uh, excellence and and maximizing performance is real important to you. It is, and also just like in my sports job, when I started, I told people like I'm going to work for a major media company. This is in like eighth, ninth grade, and people were telling me you're crazy, and that's what people said about comedy. And now I'm n- I'm never going to really know. I like when I do things, I like to try to do them to complete just exhaust every avenue and i i'm always there's always going to be meat left on the bone in comedy i I haven't and also like quickly the time has passed right like i'm 36 now i should have been out there in my 20s doing auditions doing other things doing doing more with it i didn't really know and I, i probably honestly wasn't good enough either at the time so yeah, maximizing performance, but I don't like at the same time, I'm not unhappy with my performance. I don't think because I don't do comedy full time that I can't go put on a good show tomorrow if I needed to. It's more about fully concentrating on it, going branching out beyond my area and seeing what could have happened if I had really gone after it. And then also, like I said, kind of part partly feeling I don't know if it's guilty is the right word, but a little bit like, oh, man, I wish I could hang out and meet the other comics in the area more, but I just don't have that time. Well, you're you're clearly making compromises on that. Uh, and I think, you know, there are compromises that a lot of us with families, uh, a lot of us with other, other things happening uh, make. And I, I got to tell you, though, watching you perform and watching you interact with people, there's just a, a genuine presence uh, when you're when you're at a show um, and connecting with people. I, I'll say that you do a good job of uh, being able to connect with people and and be a be a part of whatever event is happening. Um, well, I appreciate that. I, I also just don't think like when I say that, I also don't think that I'm in like the forefront of people's minds when do comedy when they think about comedy or think about comedians in Grand Rapids I don't maybe pop to mind right away because I'm not super active I'm not at a bunch of things so even like the first roast battle actually I wasn't in the very first one and the second time around I think I reached out to Mike or maybe somebody suggested me to Mike and he was oh man I forgot about him and I think that that happens a lot because I'm not and I'm not blaming anybody for that that's, that's just the way it is. So, but there are times where I'm like, man, I, I don't always get asked to do this and that because uh, I'm not present and I'm not there all the time. So that's, that's nobody's fault, but I do kind of feel that way uh, at times. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I, when I think about the Grand Rapids scene, I mean, you're a fixture. I mean, there's a lot of people that are, that are really exciting to watch and to think about what, what might be coming up 
for them, but uh, but you're you're a, a cornerstone staple of the of the Grand Rapids uh, comedy market. I mean, I, I some of the memories that come to mind. Uh, you know, there was a little show at the Garage Bar, and uh, you were uh, I think you were closing the show out uh, doing a, a short set, but like a like a ten minute set, and you wrote all new material for that on your drive back from uh someplace else that you were for work i don't know if you remember that <laughs> i do i was in st louis and <laughs> drove had to drive back and barely made it and thought <laughs> well i've got seven hours in the car i'm tired of all of my material let's let's just <laughs> let's just write a new 10 here well and and that the, the garage bar is a, a very tough comedy room because there's distractions there's some of the people aren't there to see comedy and you came in with 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 stuff that you wrote on the drive there and, and you brought the house down, you, you crushed it. That is a tough, that is a tough one. But I think that's something that you learn in comedy. And I think I've gotten better at that. And just no matter what the situation or the room is not being intimidated by it and having the confidence, I think people can feel when you're nervous up there. And uh, there's no doubt that, for the first few years in my career, I could not have done that. I would have fallen apart. And so I think that, um, and, and you know what, the comfort comes a little bit from having that security net of I'm this, I haven't, I have a day job. So if I get yeah, booed yeah. off stage at the garage bar, uh, there's a paycheck coming in on Friday. So <laughs> I guess I'll still be all right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and, and it's, everything's a compromise, you know, having that security, uh, you know, you, you trade something for that, you know, uh, having to be on stage every night, uh, of the week, you know, that, that probably sharpens some things, but, but it's, uh, it is most people would probably trade that for, uh, for a little bit of comfort and security. Yeah, I do get rusty. You like, like you said, I, there, I, cause I, I can go, weeks without doing a show and I don't I'm not getting up all the time at open mics and then I get asked to you know pop in do 45 and uh, I, I get you know honestly my album I had not because that's November that's during the thick of football season I had not been doing a lot of shows and I felt a little bit unprepared for that I was lucky that it still went well but I was not I would say at the top of my game going into that yeah yeah well, I'll tell you, Alan, I, I admire you, uh, not just for your comedy chops, but uh, for the balance that you talked about. Um, you know, you have a wonderful family. You've got a great relationship with your wife. Uh, you, you're, you're successful in what you do professionally. And again, you can, you can come into a room and really share some joy and laughter with people in a, in a wide range of, of settings, you know, from uh, a, a dive bar to a, a packed out church, you know, you, uh, you've got that versatility and, and I really admire that and I admire you. Well, I appreciate. I didn't expect to come on here and uh, get such a confidence boost, but I appreciate that, and uh, I appreciate what you guys are doing as well with Clean Comedy Time. And you guys do a lot of the things that I don't, which is, for one, be super on the ball, be prepared and on time. You guys have, you guys have coasters and things. You guys have merch. I'm just flying <laughs> by the seat of my pants here. So I, uh, I, I admire the, uh, the put togetherness of what you guys do. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely.
And Alan, now uh, you don't have have merch, uh, but uh, you've got an album. Um, how how could people find you? Find your next show, or uh, get a hold of a, a copy of a Cry for Help. Yeah, it's on iTunes, which um, you can get it on there. That's the best way to get. If you want, if you want the money to go in my pocket, that's the best way to do it. If you want to stream it on Apple Music, or somebody put it out there for free on YouTube. You know what? Go ahead and listen to that, but I don't really get a whole lot from that. Um, <laughs> that's the one thing I learned from making that album because it, it did spend a solid few days at number one on iTunes, and I was thinking like, oh, this is going to be a nice chunk of change, and then the actual number showed up, and I was like, oh, wow, this is what people are always complaining about with streaming services. So <laughs> you can get it on iTunes. It's on um, Amazon Music as well. I'm on Twitter at Alan True, A-L-E-N-T-R-I-E. It's a lot of football, so – you know, if you're not a big football fan, probably don't want to follow me on there. Instagram is a lot of my kids. Facebook, I post my shows mostly on there. I have a website, alantrue.com. Um, the, the schedule has not been updated throughout the pandemic because there wasn't much of a schedule. But hopefully we'll be getting back into it and uh, that schedule section will fill up a little bit more. Awesome. Alan, thank you so much for uh, being on a Clean Comedy Time show and the Clean Comedy Time podcast. It was so great to have you here. Absolutely. It was uh, wonderful to chat with you, my friend. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. I, I am impressed with how good your audio sounds all the way in the rural area of Drenthe. And uh, <laughs> I'd be happy to come back on anytime. Thanks for listening to the Clean Comedy Time podcast. We bring comedians together performing their clean material at showcases, fundraisers, and other events. Our shows are free from course language and topics. They work for anyone, anywhere. Check out cleancomedytime.com to find an upcoming show or to bring Clean Comedy Time to you. 